Carrie, you want to pray for us? Heavenly Father, God, I, I just thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for just strength and peace, Father, and just the the ability to continue, God. I thank you that you are a refuge and you're the banner over us. You're the path before us. Thank you that you know all things. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to come together and we never take it for granted.
thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning and this opportunity to gather, Lord. Father, to open your word, Lord, and to be encouraged this day, Father. God, that your will would be done, Father. We say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and, and minister and convict us, Lord. God, I pray that our desire would be to be more like you, Father. God, that we would not continue to seek to go our way. But Father, that we will learn to rely solely upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we would walk in step with you, so that we may not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are called to be your people, set apart for your purpose, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, given the ministry of reconciliation to go into and throughout the earth to de declare and proclaim your gospel. And salvation is only through Jesus. And we're not to carry a form of religion, but that we are to be in relationship with the eternal living God. Equip us, Father, I pray, that we would be a bold people, a people of faith, a people of courage, a people of determination, that we wouldn't continue to be a people that retreat or go back, a people that just become complacent, and a people that just is dependent upon the earthly things to get us through. God, awaken us. Equip us with an understanding of the urgency of the hour and the generation in which you have placed us in. Father, we are not accidents. We were purposed for such a time as this. You've planned us, you've purposed, purposed us, and you've prepared for us to do good works for your kingdom and for your name's sake. So help us, Holy Spirit, to get over ourselves, to truly understand the call of a disciple, to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and to follow you. Let it be so with us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, good morning. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not of just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. By God's power. It just can't be a lot of talk. It has to be a life that is lived, and again, we have this understanding from the Scripture by God's power. There's nothing that you and I can do to bring about godliness in our lives, in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we would not seek to do what is right. The flesh is never in agreement with the will of God. The flesh only seeks to satisfy itself. It's a life based on self. It's a life based on sin. It's a life that stiff arms God and says, You're not God, I am. I'll choose how I'll live. 
I'll go the way I want to go. I'll live by the desires that I want to live. And no one's going to tell me any different. That's the ways of the flesh. And all along we are being deceived if we live according to the flesh. Because as you've heard me over and over and over remind us, the flesh only knows how to do one thing. To die. And so your very rebellious nature... That you're stiff-arming God, pushing the only one who truly ever loves you away to do what you want to accomplish <laughs> is only going to end you up in a state of eternal destruction. Nothing good comes from it. Nothing good comes from it. We were all born sinners. We were all born in rebellion against God. But God so loved us, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, you all. Jesus. God knew our nature. And he sent the provision, the one that would take upon himself the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to endure it. God is faithful, you all. God is love throughout the generations. Throughout the generations. I've encouraged you, open up your Bible, read, seek Him. You will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. Not with a divided heart, not with a heart that's half living for yourself and half desiring the things of God. That type of life will always lead you back to self. You can't have any part of this new life. All you need to do is die to the old man, die to the old woman, you know your flesh. You know what you like. You know what you desire. And you know that which does not please God. And so you submit to Him. It's not a works-based religion. It's a faith-based. It's a hoped-based. Faith and relationship with the living God. I can't do this, Lord, but you can. And through Jesus, I am saved. And I've been given the Holy Spirit to empower me. It's a life of power. Living it. Not just talking about it. Not just posting about it. Not just liking posts. Not just here and there. No, it's a life now. Just as you lived according to the flesh and its desires, you have now submitted yourself to Christ. And you say, not my life any longer, yours. And I have a desire and a hunger to grow. I have a desire and a hunger to see your will be done in this earth. Because look around you all. It's getting crazier and crazier. Darker and darker. Oh, keep running and pursuing your desires. And you're going to be caught up with it all. 
And in the end, in the end, you got what you wanted. You can't blame God. And that's so quick for us to do in the flesh. You know when you're in, in the flesh when you're blaming God for things. And I've told you all this before. It's so funny. People who want to stiff arm God and live as if there is no God are usually the first ones that blame God. How are you going to blame someone you don't believe in? How are you going to blame someone when that's not even his character? It just goes to show your ignorance of God. It just goes to show that you're listening to the devil. And I've been telling you over the past month, do not learn of God from the devil. You can't have your theology taught to you from Satan. He has tried to teach it throughout the generations. And every time he has taught it, and every time people have came up with, with following him, they've come up with all these weird religions. <laughs> all these weird understandings of God, and they're not even understandings at all. They just bought into a lie. Believing things that, not, that aren't true. Don't you hate it when people talk about you? Especially when what they're saying isn't true. Oh, it's different if they're sailing against your character and that's who you are. <laughs> you can pout and get upset all you want, but that's who you are. It's a quite different story when someone is running their mouth about you. They don't know you. They just heard what others say about you. And yet what they are saying, they truly believe that's how you are. And you can talk to your blue in your face to try to defend yourself. And you won't change their mind. That's happening a lot with God, you all. The devil's working overtime, running his mouth about God. And people are believing, and people are talking. Saying all sorts of things. And it's not even true. And God keeps revealing himself. He keeps revealing himself. He keeps ministering. He keeps showing people, this is who I am. 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 This is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is what I've done to get you to me. <laughs> the only one who loves you. And people say, no. You're a bad God. I don't want to follow you. I want to live for me. How can you say my desires are wrong? How can you say what I want is wrong? I'll do what I want, and I'll live what I, how I want. And this is who you are, and you're nothing to me. Oh! You see, God is so gracious and so kind. He's so patient. His will is that none shall perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the one that he sent to redeem mankind. There is a war for your soul. And you have to choose which side you're on. God is not going to force you. You want to keep following the lies of the enemy? 
Have at it. You want to keep going after your desires, your wants? Have at it. You want to say you love them but live like you don't know them? Have at it. Because in the end, oh, you're going to know him. Because the Bible says that everything, rather you know him now on this earth or don't, oh, you will know him. <laughs> because everyone is going to bow down. Everyone is going to bow down and know that he is God. In his gracious love and his kindness, he wills that you do it on this side of life. See, his desire is, is that when you stand before him face to face, that you hear, well done my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Enter into my rest. His will is that you would not, his will is that you wouldn't hear depart from me. He doesn't want you to hear that. He doesn't want you to hear depart from me, you worker of self, you worker of sin, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. I don't know you. And again, there will be people on that day, the Bible's very clear, who's going to stand before him and then say, but didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I like godly Facebook status? Didn't I post scriptures here and there? Didn't I talk about you every now and then? Didn't I give? Didn't I serve? Didn't I do? And he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. You see, your choice. God or self. Take a good look. Take a good look. When you go throughout this week and you go to make decisions or you go to put your hands towards something or you go to think of something or you go to let something out of your mouth, God or self, one leads to life, one leads to death. But this feels better than this. You see, the flesh always feels better because your desires and your choices are, are just feeding your hunger for what you want. But remember, it doesn't last. <laughs> That's why you hunger for more and more and more and more filth of this world until you're dead. But with God, it's everlasting life. There's a joy when you wake up in the morning, no matter your circumstances. There's a peace that sustains you, no matter what or who is coming against you. There's a hope for a future. Because you know that he knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Remember, 
How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. The kingdom of God is just not about a lot of talk. But it's living through the power of God. I want to encourage you all this day. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. What does matter is repentance. A turning away from. A not going back. A not game playing. A true, genuine faith in Jesus. A true, genuine character change. <laughs> that people say, you're different. What is it about you? Why don't you do what you used to do? Why don't you say what you used to say? Why don't you? And your answer? Jesus. Why would I go back? I know what that life is. Why would I choose to continue to talk nasty? Putting people down. Fighting for myself and my rights. Forget you, it's about me. Why would we want to live that way? When we have been called to use our mouth to build up. Remember, there's a war for your soul. And it's your choice which side you're on. The side that builds up or the side that tears down. And then you have to ask yourself, who are you going back to? What's back there that supplies your needs? Physical, emotional, financial. Why do we keep going back to those who God has told us to leave? We must ask ourselves. If we're saying we're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, do whatever. Do who you want, where you want, why you want, how you want. Just do it. <laughs> Wear your Nike slogan. Just do it. Just go and do whatever you want. Live however you want, but please do not drag the name of Jesus with you. The devil is a liar. To think that we can keep yoking up with what's in the past. You see, that's what it is. That's who they are, the past. <laughs> so we got to get real, you all. We got to get real and transparent. True freedom comes from true transparency. First with God and then with man. You ought to choose freedom every single day. You say, but this life is rough. And I say, well, then stop looking at this life and start looking at Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcame the world. I told you I believe last week. Yet, though it's getting crazier and darker, and sometimes it looks like just doom and gloom, oh, but there's good news. The church is still on the earth. 
so we don't get overwhelmed. We, we don't react when we see the lost acting crazy. We just recognize the urgency of the hour that should like alert us. <laughs> the alarms are going off. Prepare for battle. Stand in the times of adversity. Stand in the assurance of who God is and what is ours that is coming. But until that day that he calls us home, oh, we're soldiers for Christ. We're on this earth to proclaim the gospel. And in proclaiming it, do you know how we win the battle? And we're going to read today. We serve. We don't fight like the lost fight. They turn it into a physical battle. Oh, but as Christians, we recognize that our war and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the principalities of the air of the darkness. It's a spiritual battle. And we are to be spirit-filled people, purposed for the things of God. But you can't battle in that realm if you're not holy. Set apart. Not perfect. No one's asking you to be perfect. But God does say be holy. To be set apart. For my purpose, he says. And I will train you. I will disciple you, he says. I have you and I will empower you to accomplish what I prepared for you to do. Like, see, you all, none of you are an accident. There's not one child who was birthed that is an accident. They are purposed for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. And so those who have children, are you raising them up? And not understanding? Or are you tearing them down? Or do they just see your example of what it is to live in the flesh? You're not equipping them, then understand you're destroying them. Don't blame anyone else. It's with your own mouth and your own hands and your own actions that you lead them to destruction and death. And yet we come to church. Hallelujah. We show up. We do a lot of talk. But we've got no power. That we're not even influencing the next generation for the things of God. Oh no. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper. <laughs> wake up. Wake up. You're to be set apart. Like, encourage the youth. Let them know they have a purpose. Don't go find your value in from the world. Don't go find your security in the arms of all these people that in the end just destroy you. Because you just keep giving yourself and giving yourself and you're trying to find acceptance. When's the last time you looked at these youth and you've told them you are purposed of God? When's the last time you said, 
Follow me as I'm following Jesus. When's the last time you've held them and prayed over them, no matter what their ages are? When's the last time that family's opened up and had a Bible study? And said, let the Word of God lead us today. Oh, we've got to wake up, you all. We're losing generations and generations of youth. And now we live in a country where newborn babies can be aborted. I mean, we've already lived in a country where they were being aborted. (laughs) But now we're at a place where, ah, it doesn't matter. We don't want them. (laughs) Kill them. Do you understand that's the devil? Because the devil knows that each life is purposed for the glory of God. Kill them. Kill them all. And the women go in and open up their legs and they yank that life out of them. And for what purpose? So I can go back and screw my boyfriend again and have another one. And another one. And another one. What kind of craziness are we living? Because of the flesh. And yet no one wants to hear it. Don't talk about it. It makes us upset because I've had 20. What? No, it has to be talked about. Because lives are being destroyed. All for what? All for what? Now, if you've had abortions, there's, there's repentance that can be found and restoration that can be found only through Jesus. Repent. Ask for forgiveness and be made whole. Be made whole. Your past wouldn't, don't, doesn't define you anymore. No matter what your sin was or who you were or what you did. But when we see that churches and and groups of so-called Christians are backing it and supporting it, all these different crazy ways of living, and we neglect to raise up the standard and say, does that even in in the word of God? When God is saying, be holy, be set apart, why are we changing who he is to fit our needs? All because we're listening to the devil teach us about God. You will not find living for yourself anywhere in the Word of God. Nowhere. The devil is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. So live. 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 What are we embracing? That's only a question that you can answer in your own heart. In your own heart, we must get to a place where we believe that God knows our past. That God knows the sin that so easily entangles us. And He says, come to me for complete wholeness, for complete restoration, for complete Freedom. Like only that can be found in God. 
that the sinful man, sinful women can come to a holy God that he would draw us with all of our stains, with all of our dirt, with all of our past, with all of our desires that are so against him. He says, come to me. Come to me. And I will wash you clean. You no longer will be identified as that. You are now a part of me. And I've got you now. See, that's where we have the boldness in Christ to live differently. That's why we don't keep going back. If if you keep going back, you need to ask yourself, why? (laughs) Why? Do you want to continue to identify with what's behind you and identify with all the filth and the junk and then come into an agreement with those who talk about you and what they're saying is the truth about you? No, you don't want to be in agreement with anything from the past. You want to step out and say, God, I may not fully understand all of this, But you're calling me because I'm sensing something in me that's drawing me to a way that I wouldn't live. And that's a way to righteousness. That's a whole different way of living. That's a whole different way of acting and responding. And so I'm cutting people out of my life. I'm cutting things out of my life. God, my mind is being renewed. I'm thinking new things thoughts. I'm actually looking forward to getting up in the day, even though everything around me tells me not to get up, even though when all the voices around me tell me I'm a horrible person, God, I can still rise because of Jesus. And you can preach yourself happy. God, you all, in his mercy, in his grace, in his provision of salvation, bids us to come. Come out from your bondage and step in to my freedom and live as a freed person. Live as a freed person. And as we open today the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1 is where we're heading. It's a very interesting book that we are transitioning into. Remember, we just finished the book of Exodus. Remember, God's people were enslaved for 430 years. They weren't living the the prosperous life. They were living a very defeated, (laughs) burdensome life. And yet, in the midst of it, there were God's people who would cry out to God for a deliverer. Like they would remember their God. And they would cry out for generations and generations and generations. And God raised up a deliverer, mm-hmm. Moses. He led them out. And then remember, we we talked about how they built this tabernacle, this place of worship, 
that traveled with them. And remember, it stood up no matter what the conditions were that were around them. And it was a place that they would come to learn, to worship, and interact with their God. Because remember God's purpose all through Scripture is to have a people that He can call His own, and in return, they will say, You're our God. Like, we live for you. (laughs) We trust in you. We will only worship you. We will not give ourselves to the idols of this world, to the people of this world, to the the conditions of this world. No, God, we're looking towards you. Like, see, God desires that type of fellowship, you all. He desires for you to love him with your whole being. Because that's how he's loved you. And that should not be a strange concept to Christians. Because he draws us into it. And so now he has set apart these people, the Israelites. And it's not just for them. Remember, the rest of the nations are going to get to know God through the Israelites. Remember, you've heard me say all the time, you can see through scriptures, the other nations weren't afraid of the Israelites. Oh, but they were afraid of their God. (laughs) In fact, these godless nations would say, that's the living God. (laughs) And yet they wouldn't come to serve him. But they would recognize him. As it is with our day. As it is with our day. God has revealed himself to people. And their heart is so twisted and all they want is themselves and their gods that they may look at him and say, oh, okay, you're God, but I'm going to keep doing me. How crazy is that? To have a concept and a knowledge of God and yet, and yet, stiff-arming. These people were being led in to accomplish God's purpose. Because ultimately, what was his purpose? To bring about the Messiah, Jesus, so that all nations would be saved. So, as I mentioned to you last week, the questions to ask as you're opening up Scripture, I'm going to give you an introduction to the book before we get into the first three chapters today. So pay close attention. If it seems a bit too much, then I want to encourage you when you get the notes, Sit with them in front of you with a pad of paper in your Bible and get to know your God and get to know how you are to live and what encouragement that you can bring from this book. Because now that the tabernacle is set for worship, God is giving specific understandings of how to worship. And I want you to listen to this. These notes were taken from the commentary from Bill Bright's Discover Bible. So what's the purpose of this book? To establish proper worship for God's people. Discovering God through Leviticus. There is one principal attribute of God that dominates the book of Leviticus. And you ready for this? Holiness. There's something you're going to learn about God through what you're about to read and to hear is that he's holy. He's holy. 
And he doesn't take that lightly. And so with that understanding, I pray that we would not take it lightly. How much sin in your life is enough that God would dismiss it and say, oh, it's nothing. Think of that. And if you start thinking of them, then something's wrong because your answers should be none. You say, but I'm not going to be perfect. No one is saying being perfect. But sin is not to be your master. As a Christian, you are not mastered any longer by sin. You are now a slave to righteousness. So when there is active sin in your life, you're quick to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent and turn from it. Not to keep going back to it. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 (laughs) Because reality, you're not sorry. You're just feeling guilty. And your sorry means nothing because you really don't understand the weight of it. But when you understand the weight and its purpose of destruction and the, and, and the price that was paid for you through Jesus' life, oh no, you want, you want to get rid of it from your life. You don't want it to be active participating with it in your life. The flesh and the spirit may be warring inside you, but greater is he that is in you and you're desiring the spirit. And God, I will lay on my face and I won't get up from this place. I will not give in. Your word says you make a way out of for every temptation. And I have to purposely choose to sin. I have to purposely choose to put my hand to it, to lay down with it, to give myself to it, to think about it, and to act upon it. I have got to choose that. It doesn't just overtake you and all of a sudden you're there and you're like, how did I get here? Oh no, you got there because you chose. It's not going to hurt this time. What is it going to hurt if I just think about it just a little? Remember what the Bible says, you give him a a foothold, he develops a stronghold. The enemy does. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God is holy. And as you're going to see through these scriptures... Holiness. After Moses and the Israelites crossed safely through the Red Sea, Moses led the throng in a victory song that asked, Who is like you among gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Those questions reflect the very heart of holiness. The essence of God is separateness or set-apartness. Because there is no person, no thing, or being like God. He is holy, separate from all others. So how are you going to grow through this book? The primary, primary attribute of God in Leviticus, as we've said, is holiness. And that leads to the primary theme of the book for Christians, personal holiness. Personal holiness. Like you're getting up every day with that as your goal. (laughs) That's why the Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Run the race. 
that is set before you. You have to choose to do right. You have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one that's leading you. You have to put work to this. God isn't going to force you and drag you along. If He did that, that wouldn't display your love for Him. Your love being displayed to God is by you willingly saying, I follow you. I choose you over that. I choose you over my desires. I choose you. So personal holiness. You see, worship... Wait, let me back up. The Israelites needed to learn how to live apart while living among. Listen to this. They needed to know how to be in the world, but not of the world. They needed to learn how to be holy in an unholy world, and this call extends to us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And did you hear what the Israelites had to learn? It's no different than every generation of believers. We are not to look like the world. We are not to act like the world. We are to learn daily how to live in this world, but not be of it. Because this earth is not our home. You see, personal holiness leads to worship, and worship becomes a lifestyle. First, proper worship establishes a path to God by encouraging repentance and obedience, focusing on obedience to the ceremonial law. Second, it establishes a path to God by encouraging holiness and growth in their sanctification. Third, the sacrificial offerings illustrated the covering of the Israelites' sins, and by faith in the truth behind that illustration, they gained access to God. Following, I'm sorry, fellowship and thanksgiving offerings maintained and deepened their relationship with God as they honored His holiness and remembered His faithfulness. So as you're hearing the book of Leviticus, and hopefully you're reading it by yourself as well, and possibly with others, don't get bored with it. Like even if you hear me reading it today, you're going to be like, blah, blah, oh God, please, I just want to get down to lunch. But do not miss out on what we're hearing. As he instructed them, so he instructs us. As we see these different offerings being established, they mean something. Everything that was done then points to Jesus. Points to Jesus, you all. Like the book of Leviticus should be impacting your spiritual life. Leading you into personal holiness and obedience. And a full relationship with God. The author is Moses. This was written to the new nation of Israel. Specifically the Levites. And the Aaronic priests who had just been released from 430 years of slavery. The date of this writing, shortly after the Exodus, 
1446 BC. As Moses received it from God at Mount Sinai, it was probably compiled with the other four books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. During the nearly 40-year period of wilderness wandering, you can see that in the book of Numbers. And so the setting of this book, Mount Sinai in the Sinai Desert, modern eastern, eastern, eastern Egypt, where the Israelites camped about a year after leaving northern Egypt. And so the outline of this book, Leviticus 1 through Leviticus 7, the sacrificial laws. Leviticus 8 through Leviticus 10, their ironic, or ironic um, priesthood established. Leviticus 11 through 16, social and ceremonial uncleanness. And then Leviticus 17 through 27, habits of the holy. So before we get into these scriptures, here are a few points I want you to listen to. So it gives you an understanding as you hear them being read. The first one, we're going to see in verse 4. That by laying his hand on the head of the offering, the worshiper identified himself with the animal. By this identification, the animal became the worshiper's substitute so that its death symbolized the worshiper's death. This is the following quote from Charles Spurgeon. Be pleased, Lord, to identify with me with this bull and this bull with me. There has been a transferring of my sin. May I be judged as being in the victim and represented by it. Then the knife was unsheathed and the victim was slain. He was not merely bound, but killed. And the person stood there and said, That is me. That is the fate I deserve. And if the worshiper was a right-minded person and not a mere formalist, he stood with tears in his eyes and felt in his heart, that death is mine. Wow. These people are going to bring these offerings. They were instructed to lay their hands on its head to symbolize that they are identifying with this animal that's going to stand in their place. And take upon death because of their sin. And we want to play games with our flesh. We want to be just running them up. Ha 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 It doesn't mean anything. I can do whatever I want. How craziness is this? That even in the beginning, when God was establishing his people, he was laying out this understanding of there had to be a payment for sin. And ultimately, who paid the price? Jesus. Jesus, you all. Jesus. And I liked what Spurgeon said there. If the person was of right mind, he would look at this bull with tears in his eyes. And listen, that death is mine. But if he was just a formalist, someone that was just doing it just because that's what you're supposed to do, he would care less. Here's yet another bull. 
because I'm going right back out to do me. And isn't that how a lot of Christians, and I use that term loosely, live in the church? They look upon the cross and they go, I came to church. They're not even moved by the sacrifice, by the shedding of our Savior's blood, by the whippings and the beating that he endured. They just come and they say, hmm, I'll wear it around my neck. And it means nothing. But oh, that we would be a people of sound mind, of a right mind, that would look at the sacrifice that was paid for us and say, that was my death. Oh, God. That was my death. I don't want to sin. God, I want to be holy as you are holy. Filled with his spirit to live a life not enslaved to sin. And again, I shared with you just a bit ago. It's your choice to sin. It doesn't overpower you. It doesn't overtake you. And then you end up in it and go, how did I get here? How did I get here? No, no, you got there because you chose. No one can force you. No one can drag you. You just looked at the cross and you said, "Mm." and you went your way. I've always told you, in order for you to go back to who you were, you have to look at the cross and say, I meant nothing, and go right back to feeling the desires of your flesh. Oh, let that not be said of you. Let it be said that you said that you look at it daily and you go, that was my death. And God, I want to honor you with my body. Because I am yours and you are mine. You see, this is what he's it's, it's establishing with his people. That they would live for him. That they would understand the price that was paid. And these people came Given, laying their hands and saying, I identify Spurgeon also reminds us that the offering must be unblemished in order to be an offering at all but still its perfection did not make it a sacrifice until it was killed and even so Jesus must die His perfect nature, his arduous labor, his blameless life, his perfect consecration could avail us nothing without the shedding of his blood. So far from his death being a mere adjunct and conclusion of his life, it is the most important matter connected with him. It stands in the foreground. It is the head in front of his redeeming work. We justly value him for his example and for his living intercession. But in the busyness of atonement, it is beyond all things necessary that we view him as the lamb slain. Take away the substitutionary death of our Lord, and we have taken all away. Without the death of Jesus, nothing remains for us but death. Forget the crucified one, and we have forgotten the only name by which we can be saved. And that's happening 
in our culture, and it has been happening. Just make Jesus a good man. He was a good teacher, but he didn't die for you. I really didn't mean much. Just keep living how you want. Remain unholy. Remember I told you, don't let your theology be taught by the devil. Don't let the enemy creep in and, and tell you lies about Jesus. Because if he can strip him down, you're his prisoner. Because it's the truth that sets you free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. So why are you sinning? You've got to ask yourself real questions every day. Why am I here? Why do I keep doing this? I'm choosing it. But if I've seen him and I know him to be God, then why am I still choosing to remain apart from him? How can I confess him and still be okay with living against him because he's a holy God and I'm called to be holy but yet I find myself killed, still coming back over here and it's all my choice oh God I'm not surrendered I'm not believing I'm not confessing in my heart and believing I'm not confessing in my mouth and believing in my heart that you are the resurrected son of God no I've become a formulist it's just a form. It's just a form of religion. It means nothing to me. Oh, God. And you find yourself repenting. At least you should. Not when you hear and you read about him to keep going your way. And then we're going to see in chapter 2, food as a symbol. All of the sacrifices and offerings of, the, of Leviticus represented spiritual truths for Israel. For the Israelites. For example, they were not to bring just any flour as a grain offering, but choice flour. Why the distinction? Pure flour with no yeast or sweetener was to be offered as a picture of the worshiper's heart. Only pure hearts can produce pure offerings of gratitude to God. Fascinating. Also in chapter 2, you're going to see that salt was also directly associated with God's covenants with Aaron and David. As a preservative, it symbolized pertinence. I mean, permanence. That's how God is in our lives, you all. And then we're going to see the first portion. When you sit down to, and pay your monthly bills, which check do you write first? That can be a subtle indication of your priorities. After all, what we can least afford to do without usually gets paid first. The Israelites face that same decision every fall at the annual harvest. What to do with the first mature grain? A sign of their thankfulness to God was to offer the first portion of the harvest to him. Giving to God first, then and now, is a way to say thank you for all of his provision. And people, Christians, have problem giving to the church. Ah, they just want my money. <laughs> oh, it's so much more than that, you all. <laughs> you should learn to give. God should not be the least 
I really don't have to give. I don't have it to give. Oh, no, I just can't. If I give it, oh, and, you, and you're fretting over what you're giving. And you should be giving. And you should be giving cheerfully. A joyful, cheerful giver. That's what the Lord desires. If you're not cheerfully giving, don't give. <laughs> remain enslaved. Remain in bondage. It's your choice. But you should freely be giving. He should be the first. God, I'm serving into your kingdom. I'm serving into the needs this month of the church. I'm giving to the church to help support facilitating what we do. I'm giving freely. And you say, well, how much do I give? What he places on your heart. You see, we live in the New Testament now. Underneath the New Covenant. If you want to give 10%, give 10%. Start somewhere. He's never going to ask you to give something that he's not going to provide for you. Understand where the grain and the cattle and everything came from, from the Lord. <laughs> Same with your paycheck, unless you think you work for it. He gave that job to you. He gave you the provision that you're receiving monthly, however you're receiving it. <laughs> and you should be given a portion back to him. Freely. Excited. To give. To give. No one's looking at the amount. I mean, for goodness sake, that little widow came and gave just all she had. And it pleased God. See, it's the heart attitude behind it. And if you're one of those Christians, say, I'm not giving because everybody just wants my money. Then something's wrong with you. Your heart's not right with God. Because <laughs> you, still, you still are seeing God as a taskmaster. You're still seeing the church as corrupt. And yes, has the church throughout the centuries and generations, people within it been corrupt? Yes. But what does that stop you from having a heart of gratitude to the God who has delivered you? You've got to ask yourself questions. So we're going to see that today. Then we're also going to see a peace offering. A quick glance at the daily news will reveal the absence of peace somewhere in our world. But as much as we would love to live in a world in which all people are at peace with each other, what we need most is peace with God. It is no wonder that when the Israelites discovered they could have this kind of peace, they celebrated regularly. They brought fellowship or peace offerings from the flock or herd and had a celebration meal. The name of that offering is related to shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. They ate these sacrifices just as we celebrate peace with God by memorializing the body and blood of Christ at communion. Like I said, don't be bored with the Old Testament. Everything in it leads to Jesus. These people, when they realize that they could have this relationship with God, oh, we're going to celebrate regularly. They brought their provision. <laughs> and yet some of us, when we have communion, ah, we just take it to take it. We have no understanding of what it even means and the importance of it. 
There is nothing like it, you all, the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Now therefore you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, and yet we make Jesus a fool. He's nothing, he's nobody. Whatever, God, I'm going to do me. And then we wonder why our minds are a mess. We wonder why our hearts are afflicted so much. We wonder why we're no different than the world running amok, having no peace. Let me tell you, when you have the peace of God, you do not want to trade it for anything. You will cling to him no matter what's pressing up against you. Because nothing and no one can steal that peace from you. Only you can give it away easily. Only you can just give it to whoever you want. Put it aside and run amok. But oh, how we should be celebrating this understanding that we can have peace with God. Oh, listen to this. In chapter 3, we're going to hear about the two kidneys with the fat. What seems like a gory task to us, cutting out an animal's fat, kidneys, and liver, and burning these on the altar of the Lord probably suggested something specific to the Israelites. In ancient cultures, the internal organs were thought to be the seat of the will and emotions. In Psalm 16, verse 7, David's reference to the heart is actually the Hebrew word for kidneys. When we become a living sacrifice to God, we offer our mind, our will, and our emotions to Him. Inside and out, we belong to God. So when you read about this type of sacrifice, when you read how they had to gut out these animals, that's a reminder of Romans 12, verse 1, that you are now a living sacrifice. You willingly lay yourself down at the altar of God. And you belong to Him inside and out. I'm yours, God. I am yours. Wow, you all. Then we're going to see the portions burned on the altar were counted as God's food. These sacrifices, I'm sorry, these sacrifices were not intended to sustain Him. Nor did the Israelites imagine that God actually ate the food. The sacrifice was referred to as food probably as a metaphor and indicated God's pleasure just as other sacrifices were said to smell good to him. It may also have been intended to symbolize the table of fellowship between God and the worshiper. And, you can, and that mentions in Exodus chapter 24 verse 11. Remember, God's desire, you all, is to have fellowship with you, to commune with you. He desires that. He's made provision for it, that you would be his people and that he would be your God. And then in chapter 3 as well, we're going to see, as we just heard, that there will be these sacrifices that are a sweet aroma to God. This verse describes the offering as pleasing God through its aroma. Of course, God didn't take pleasure in the literal scent of burning organs, but what the scent represented, the faithful obedience of the Israelites and their desire to fellowship with Him. The New Testament tells us there are other sacrifices we can perform that likewise bring great pleasure to God, such as doing good and sharing what we have with God the poor. So 
So finally, the offerings. And then we're going to open up the book. And we'll probably just get through Leviticus today. But hear about these offerings that you're going to hear about. Listed below that I'm going to read are the five key offerings the Israelites made to God. They made these offerings in order to have their sins forgiven and to restore their fellowship with God. The death of Jesus Christ made these sacrifices unnecessary. Because of his death, our sins were completely forgiven and fellowship with God has been restored. So that's why I'm not having y'all bring bulls here, laying your hands on them, and for me slitting their throats and gutting them out. Because we don't have to do that anymore. Because Jesus was gutted for you. His body was ripped apart. He was beaten to where you couldn't even recognize him anymore. He was spit upon and slapped and nailed to a cross and raised up for all to see. And how do you view the cross, you all? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? It should mean something. Like you see him hanging there and you go, for me? Like you took my death? Like everything that you just went through, like I deserved it. And when you have that understanding as a Christian, you don't keep going back to the filth of this world that's just going to entangle you and to destroy you. And if you are still going back, then I'm telling you today, rather you want to hear it or not, you're not a Christian. And you say, no, you can't say that. And then I would say, well, do you show me somewhere in the Bible and the truth of God's word where it gives you the right to look upon him, to claim him, and then to live a life that denies him? I know in this generation, the church is supposed to preach this come, come for all gospel. And don't talk about things that are serious or things that are right in God's eyes. No, just keep the church ignorant. Keep her stupid and dirty. Keep her schizophrenic and a fool. But you won't find that anywhere in God's Word. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it doesn't matter who's out there promoting anything else. Remember, there's a war for your soul. And you don't think Satan is working overtime to destroy you and your family. It's like I said earlier. What are we doing? If not, but living for Jesus. Just running amok. Homes are in a mess. Lives are chaotic. We're blaming God for everything. And God is saying, if you would just come to me, like I keep revealing myself to you, if you would just live for me. I mean, for goodness sakes, those who weren't here on Friday, you ought to make some time to come over and watch this documentary with, with me. To see what these Christians endure overseas. For those who were here that night, you know what I mean. I don't know about you, but I've been messed up. I'm like, oh God. 
and we play church here? In America, what on earth are we doing? I mean, these are real document stories of pastors, of Christians, of that little boy going into prison and seeing his father, who was a pastor, who was dragged out of their home church and beaten for years. His body was not even recognizable. And the little boy put his hand on his father and said, Daddy, I'm proud of you. Because his father would not deny Jesus. And then remember, the account of the mother was sitting there. She was going to slide in a little Bible for her and hide it in his cloak. But the guard snatched her up and told her, Don't you know, woman, that I can kill you and your husband and your boy right now? And I would even get a promotion doing it. And this woman stood up to that guard and said, Kill me then. And we drag ourselves to church. We don't even pray with our children or have Bible study or encourage them to live for God. <laughs> oh, but just keep coming to church. <laughs> keep wearing your little crosses and posting all your little Facebook and social media stuff. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And you're being led astray with the devil. And then that scene with that preacher man who was locked up in prison and he would worship every morning. And then years later, when they were dragging him out to executing, all of a sudden, those thousands of prisoners, remember Ed? Those thousands of prisoners in this Russian prison, this hardcore prison, they all stood up as they were dragging, the guards were dragging this man out, and they began to worship the living God. <laughs> that the guards were so moved that they looked at this man, they said, Who are you? And he says, I am, a I am the child of the living God. And we crumble when our bills can't be paid. Or when temptation comes our way, we just go back and lay, give ourselves to whoever we want. And just call ourselves Christians. Oh, we just go and we just do and we just do and we just do. Oh, but we love Jesus. <coughs> and these people won't deny Jesus. Kill me. Destroy my body. Take my family. I will live for my king. They've already determined it. Because they know they've met him. They know him. What is there to go back to? What are y'all going back to? The church in America needs to have that commitment to God because look at our nation. Look at our nation. This isn't just a fun and games. I'm bored in church. I don't want to know about Jesus. I need to get out of here. I got to get to where I'm going. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> but when you stand before him, <laughs> just remember, all of us are going to stand before him one day. It's best you do it on this side. God, I believe <laughs> that you died for me so that I can live for you to tell of your goodness and of your love and of your mercy, to tell others the right information about you, to combat against the forces of darkness that try to pervert who you are in your message. No, God, you've purposed me in this generation to stand boldly upright, to declare the good news of the Lord so that the captives would be made free. And I will live for you, God. You see, this is what he's establishing in this book that we're about to read. A people that belong to God. We're yours. <laughs> we're yours. And we enjoy being yours. <laughs> the burnt offering in Leviticus 1, it was voluntary. The purpose to make payment for sins in general... The significance showed a person's devotion to God in Christ. I'm sorry, in God. And then Christ, the perfect offering, perfect offering, Christ's death was the perfect offering. So the grain offering in Leviticus 2 is voluntary. The purpose of this is to show honor and respect to God in worship. The significance, acknowledge that all, I'm sorry, all we have belongs to God. And then how did Christ make this himself the perfect offering Christ was the perfect man who gave all of himself to God and others and then we're going to read about the peace offering Leviticus 3 it was voluntary the purpose to express gratitude to God the significance to symbolize peace and fellowship with God and then how do we find this in Christ Christ is the only way to fellowship with God and then we're going to see as we're, finished, as we're going through the book of Leviticus, the sin offering, which is found in Leviticus 4, it required, the required, I'm sorry, and it was required, it wasn't voluntary, the purpose to make payment for unintentional sins of uncleanness, neglect, and thoughtlessness. The significant was to restore the sinner to fellowship with God. It showed seriousness of sin. And so in Christ, how do we see this? Christ's death restores our fellowship with God. And then finally, the guilt offering. Leviticus 5. Required the purpose, it was a required offering and the purpose to make payment for sins against God and others. A sacrifice was made to God and the injured person was repaid or, or compensated. And the significance provided compensation for injured parties. And how do we find this in Christ? Christ's death takes away the deadly consequences of sin. Listen, that is the book of Leviticus, you all. <laughs> and that's as far as we're going to get today. Because I just don't want to jump into a book. I want you all to have an understanding. If you're serious about your faith in Christ, you want to grow up as a Christian. You want to live as a Christian. You want to be bold as a Christian. You want to love as a Christian. You want to serve as a Christian. Because that's what Christ came to do. We don't hate the world. We don't hate the lost. 
No, all are welcome to come to Christ, and that's how we should be living. But we don't strip him down and make his message nothing to make people feel comfortable. Remember, the flesh is never going to feel comfortable with the gospel. Because that nature that you were born into, that I was born into, enjoys itself. So don't tell me I have to lay down my life. I don't want to. Oh, the flesh will never come into an agreement with God. And God understood that. That's why God sent Jesus. The final sacrifice. That all who come through Jesus is now in a relationship with the Holy God. With the Holy God. Leviticus chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm just going to read through. I doubt I stop much. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 1, we're going through chapter 3. Here we go. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Verse 4. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Jesus did that for you. Again, we're not bringing in the animals. Jesus has made you right with God. <laughs> it's nothing that you can work within of yourself. It's all through your belief and your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that you desire to live for Him. Then, verse 5, they slaughter the young bull in the presence, in the Lord's presence, and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. The skin the animal, and then skin the animal and cut into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to, to the Lord. Remember, the Lord is pleased with our obedience, with our fellowship with Him. And remember, He just delivered these people from slavery. They just built a tabernacle where they can fellowship with him. And now he's making a way for them to be restored to him, that they would live for him. He goes on, if the animal you present as a burnt offering, verse, six, verse 10, is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat, but it must be a male with no defects. Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence. And Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. 
They cut the animal in pieces, and the priests will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat on the wood, burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering and as a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you present a bird as a burnt offering to the Lord, choose either a turtle dove or a young pigeon. The priest will take the bird to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. But first he must drain its blood against the side of the altar. The priest must remove the crop and the feathers and throw them in the ashes on the east side of the altar. Then, grasping the bird by its wings, the priest would tear the bird open, but without tearing it apart. Then he will burn it as a burnt offering on the wood, burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, I'm sure the sight of it was horrific. But this can't even compare what they did to our Savior, Jesus. These animals were being slaughtered so that these people could be restored to God. Remember, it's foreshadowing the final sacrifice, God's Son. Chapter 2, when you present grain as an offering to the Lord... The offering must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons. The priest priest will scoop out a handful of the flour moistened with oil together with all the frankincense and burn this representative portion on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. If your grain offering, I'm sorry, if your offering is a grain offering baked in an oven, it must be made of choice flour, but without any yeast. It must, I'm sorry, it may be presented in the form of thin cakes mixed with olive oil or wafers spread with olive oil. If your grain offering is cooked on a griddle, it must be made of choice flour mixed with the olive oil, but without any yeast. Break it in pieces and pour olive oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your grain offering is prepared in a pan, it must be made of choice flour and olive oil. No matter how a grain offering for the Lord has been prepared, bring it to the priest who will present it at the altar. The priest will take a representative portion of the grain offering and burn it on the altar. It is a special gift of pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will be given to Aaron and his sons as their food. This offering will be considered a most holy part of of the special gift presented to the Lord. Do not use yeast in preparing any of the grain offerings you present to the Lord, because no yeast or honey may be burned as a special gift presented to the Lord. You may add yeast and honey to an offering of the first crops of your harvest, but these must never be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Season all your grain offerings with salt, there you go, to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. 
If you present a grain offering to the Lord from the first portion of your harvest, bring fresh grain that is coarsely ground and roasted on a fire. Put olive oil on this grain offering and sprinkle it with frankincense. The priest will take a representative portion of the grain moistened with oil together with all the frankincense and burn it as a special gift presented to the Lord. Chapter 3. If you present an animal from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be male or female, but it must have no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and slaughter it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and Aaron's sons will burn them on top of the burnt offering on the wood, burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you present an animal from the flock as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or female, but it must have no defects. If you present a sheep as your offering, bring it to the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tabernacle. Aaron's sons will then splatter the sheep's blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present the fat of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes the fat of the broad tail cut off near the backbone, all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, and the fat around them near the loins, and the, two, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and the priest will burn them on the altar. It is a special gift of food presented to the Lord. If you present a goat as your offering, bring it to the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tabernacle. Aaron's sons will then splatter the goat's blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and the priest will burn them on the altar. It is a special gift of food, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All the fat belongs to the Lord. You must never eat any fat or blood. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. The word of the Lord. And we go, oh, that was too much. That's boring. How sad for you if that's how you feel. How sad for you. Because God desires you to understand it. Did you see the constant theme as you were hearing? And as hopefully you were reading along? It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. Are you living a life, you all, that's pleasing to God? I mean, that's the reality as we close in today. That's the reality. You should be living a life that's pleasing to God. A life that He has prepared for you. Because he created you, he formed you. 
He numbered the hairs on your head. And yet he's boring to you. I don't want you, God. I don't need him. I'm going to live. I'm young. I'm do whatever I want. Yeah. Fine. But you can't stand before him and say, no one ever told me. No one ever told me. Oh, you've heard. You just refuse. That would be your choice, you all. And I still love you. Ultimately, God still loves you. But like I reminded you last week, don't confuse his love with salvation. Don't do that. I know it's like to be presented as that. God loves me. I'm okay. I can live whatever I want. <laughs> That's a lie from the devil. Remember what I told you. Don't let the devil teach you about God. You see, God does love us. Even though we're in complete rebellion towards him, he loves you. He loves me. Nothing will ever change that. And you know, the craziest thing is that there are people who would take their last breath, having the knowledge of God's love, and damn for eternity in hell. What a crazy thought. To be in hell for eternity, having the knowledge of God's love. And you say, is that true? Open up your Bible. Jesus tells you. And you just want to go the way of the world? You just want to go the way the enemy's teaching you about God? You just want to go and live your life because it feels good to you? Oh, but God loves me. Yes, but his love doesn't save you. Can we get that this morning? No matter what your age is. There are good people who will end up in an eternal hell <laughs> with the knowledge of God's love. And that breaks my heart. The verse we've always hear, John 3.16, I'm sure the majority of them in here can say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in his love shall not perish but have eternal life. No, that's not what scripture says. It doesn't say that those who believe in his love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Word of God says, How then are you saved? By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was raised up from the dead. You see, it's just not His death on the cross, it's His resurrection. If our message was just the cross, we have no hope. But if you believe in Jesus, if you confess and you believe that He is the Son of God, you must believe that He was raised up from the dead. And if He was raised up from the dead, that's great news. 
Because now he's defeated sin and death. And you, if you are a believer and if you are a confessor of that truth, then you're not a slave to sin and you, death would never touch you. You may die to this physical body, but you for eternity won't be in a place of craziness for eternity. You will be in a place that he has prepared for you. A place, you all. And I know we like to believe all everyone's in heaven. <laughs> but not everyone is going. And I know we want, you know, oh, they died. Tell me they're in heaven. <laughs> the Bible's very clear, you all. The way to life, the way to God is a very narrow road. Not everybody's on it. And not everybody wants to be on it. And the Bible says that the path to destruction is wide. That's where you're going to find a lot of, a lot of people. Because they don't want to live for God. They don't want to believe the truth about God. Oh, they're, they're, okay, he loves me. Ha, 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 okay, whatever. But don't follow those people. Don't follow them. Those are the people that the Bible warns us to stay away from. You're not supposed to stay away from the lost. <clears throat> You're supposed to stay away from those who call themselves Christians and deny God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God, is that's not a lot of talk. No, it's living through God's power. Are you living through His power today? If not, I would ask you as I'm closing with this song, just to get real with God. God, why don't I love you? <laughs> why do I know that you just love me, but I really don't believe in the provision that you made because of your love for me through Jesus? Like, you got to start having these conversations. Don't beat yourself up. Recognize we're all sinners apart from Christ. I had to have a good conversation 20 some odd years ago with myself. My God, I really don't love you. But God, you're drawing me to yourself and I'm fighting you with everything I have in me not to be with you. And then finally I had to get to a place and say, why am I fighting you if you're loving me and you've made a way for me to be with you? God, I don't want to fight you anymore. I just want to love you. Teach me. And it's as simple as that. To believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth. And in that belief and that confession, it will transform you because of his power. Because he's a holy God, you all. And there is none like him. Amen. I'm going to close with this song and then I'll close with some prayer.
Jesus, I am leaning on your name. 